This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Google is changing its sexual harassment policies a week after some 20,000 employees worldwide staged a walkout. The mass protest followed a New York Times story saying former senior executive Andy Rubin left the company but did so with a $90 million exit package after harassment claims against him were found to be credible. Among the changes, Google's CEO Sundar Pinchai sent a letter out saying that arbitration in these instances would no longer be mandatory. There would be more transparency in how these complaints are being handled, and those who report these issues would receive more support. But does this go far enough to address the concerns of employees? With more on the impact of this decision, we are joined in studio by Stephanie Creary, who's an assistant professor in the management department here at the Wharton School. And on the phone, uh, Harley Shaken, who is a labor expert and professor in the Graduate School of Education at the University of California at Berkeley. Stephanie, great seeing you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Harley, great to have you on the phone today, sir. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I'll start with that. the big question, Harley. Did Google f- go far enough in your mind? Uh, probably not. Uh, Google handled this very well, but the reality is 20,000 workers walked off the job globally. We haven't seen something on this scale in tech or really in very many places in a long time. Uh, what sparked it, as you pointed out, was the sexual harassment case with the $90 million payout. But really, that appears to have sparked it, not being the only concern uh, that the workers had. Uh, nine of the leaders uh, posted a blog post, and in it they say uh, these employees were asking for equity, dignity, and respect. Google recognized they had an issue, they apologized, they addressed a piece of the issue, but I think this could well be the beginning of more that takes place, more employee involvement, uh, and further demands. I completely agree. I think it's certainly a step in the right direction, and it is an attempt to address what seemed to be one of the most alarming concerns at a face value, which was the large substantial payout for somebody who had been found to commit an egregious act, um, and the conflicting values that that ten- conflicting values and messages that that tends to send. But certainly, when you look at the wide range of things that the employees were asking to address, it was yeah. about larger issues around discrimination, employment policies, and practices in the company. And so, they still have a lot to do to begin to address those issues as well. Harley, I, I guess from from a layperson's standpoint, where I am. Having arbitration as a means to settle potential sexual harassment, that, that seems to me a bit, a bit off. Am I, am I close to, to being right on that? Uh, you're spot on. And this is one of the things that really provoked a lot of the anger. 
Arbitration works overwhelmingly in the favor of the firm, uh, but it also lays out the ability to to not publicize something, uh, meaning that workers don't have an idea of the scale of, of what's going on. You're going before a company-appointed arbitrator, uh, and it really limits your rights for going to court to address these grievances. So that was certainly part of the problem. And it has been addressed in terms of sexual harassment, uh, but compulsory arbitration is something that many employees have, and a, a huge, there's been a huge increase in firms that use it uh, applies to a whole range of things. So one of the things that will be fascinating to watch is whether the Google employees going forward demand a complete elimination of compulsory arbitration as a further demand. They also ask for greater representation. They want to elect uh, someone on the board of directors. They want their yep. voice heard at Google. Uh, this is a step in that direction, uh, but uh, I think we could see much more. I, I don't know if Google, Stephanie, is willing to give that spot to an employee to kind of be that voice of the company, but it probably would be a good thing when you talk about some of these instances that obviously have come up and the concerns and, and developing a better relationship between the C-suite and the employees. Yeah, it certainly is unprecedented for many companies to think about putting an employee or representative employees on the board, but there are certainly ways to go about doing this. One of the things that they'd asked for um, was to actually have a chief diversity officer in place reporting to the CEO. Right. And when you have someone of that caliber who does, who's largely concerned with the firm's issues as well as the concerns that employees might have, it begins to trickle that up to the board in ways that make more sense. Currently, what's happening is their chief diversity officer role is lowered down, and so it seems even much less direct relationship to what the board might hear about its policies and practices with respect to diversity. And I think the other thing that I want to add is, in the background here, Google is a company that has spent a lot of resources and time and energy talking about diversity, and the workers saw this as an example of uh, a slight against the work that it had made yeah. with respect to diversity. And so what they're doing is they're taking the company to task on, if you're going to say we value diversity, then we need to begin looking at this from an equity employment perspective as well. Yeah, Harley, that's basically like saying one thing and doing another. Absolutely. And that really rankles these workers. One of the things I've been struck with, with a lot of the interviews and comments that Google workers have made, these are a very bright, very energetic group of people, many of whom who are attracted to come to Google to change the world in a positive way. So they have a lot of idealism. They believe in what the company could do. And they feel, I think, offended that the company is not doing this in a number of critical areas. I'm struck by the title of the blog post I referenced a moment ago, Collective Action Works and We Need to Keep Working. What 20,000 people in the streets indicated for a moment is their voice is far more powerful if they work together than if they simply stand alone. So it's not an open door they're asking for. It's the ability to have their voice really as part of what Google goes going forward. That raises another issue. Might this be a step on a road to a union? In a way, yeah. this was reinventing what a union does spontaneously. Uh, it's a long way 
from an organizing campaign, but it raises some issues that go beyond the immediate demand. Right, because when you talk about arbitration, it's usually because there's a discrepancy between the company and the union involved. This is this is a unique kind of set of circumstances here, Stephanie. Yeah, it's a fascinating issue. I think certainly the larger takeaway is that the employees feel that they should have a voice in what happens to them. And certainly there are a lot of ways in which Google has established policies and practices with respect to diversity where it has given employees a voice. And again, if the employees see this issue of how sexual harassment is managed in the company as an ex- a larger example of how people are treated, how we deal with issues of discrimination and fairness, and we can talk about those other things, right. and we can be transparent about you know, whether or not we believe that the strategy that we have is fair to women, then why aren't we talking about sexual harassment? Why is that the one thing that's part of our diversity initiative that we can't talk about? So I think the larger issue here is making sure that we're not creating different and that Google's not creating different value sets around what is appropriate to be uh, conveyed to workers and what's not. Well, and you also need to have, uh, I would think, a different set of standards now within companies in terms of whether it is somebody that's on the C-suite or it's somebody in the mailroom of of what that exit is going to be for that employee. Certainly, the fact that I think a lot of people are, are just taken aback by the fact that this executive got $90 million when he was walking out the door when he did something that, you know, called him into question significantly. And realistically, there could be, I would think, charges against him. It's kind of stunning. Yeah, it's really stunning, especially since the next line of all the articles say that there are lots of people who've been fired recently for similar acts without getting a similar compensation. And that's alarming, I think, to many of us and to people who work there. It's, you know, it's the idea of the rich get richer or there's no penalty when you're in a high status position like an executive um, and that we only hold certain people, particularly those at lower levels of the organization, to similar standards. So why are we rewarding bad behavior when it comes with more power and money? Harley? I think Stephanie's raising an excellent point here. It was really striking. The $90 million catches your eye, and uh, for someone who is exiting the company, uh, it was stunning. But it highlights an even broader issue. Google employs a lot of temporary and contract workers, as many as half of their 90,000-plus workforce uh, are are in this area. They are clearly a second-class group of citizens at Google uh, with very limited rights uh, and with the ability to be dismissed tomorrow if that's what suits Google. There are some who have written that what this reflects is Google is spending a lot of money uh, in a market that requires it for uh, high-level engineers and developers, uh, and in part they pay for this by lower-level employees earning significantly less and having uh, less benefits. But that rankles against the spirit of Google for many of the workers who walked out. They claim their demands uh, ultimately are issues of equity, dignity, and respect, and they view the two-tiered system uh, as something that challenges that. What does this also to you, Harley, say about the leadership of Sundar Pinchai? Uh, I, I think he handled some of this well in that he responded immediately by embracing the walkout versus challenging it. 
Uh, but it really raises some more fundamental issues that he has not addressed. What's fascinating is there evidently were as many as a thousand Google workers globally communicating with each other using Google tools to organize this walkout. With that kind of energy and with this immediate victory, I think we could see more, and his leadership will be tested in the context of how he responds to what comes next. Harley's point, I think, that he raised around this notion of how fully employed workers are treated relative to contract workers, I think, is a very important one. Because, again, that is another signal that some people can have certain rights and privileges in an organization and be considered with respect and others cannot be. So this is an issue to be a testament to the CEO's leadership that he needs to sort of begin to move forward on is if we're continuing to creating policies that are only held, whether they're policies that privilege or policies that punish, to a certain class of workers relative to others, we're continuing to create contradictory messages about what what we value as an organization. So then where do you start the change in that to to have that mindset? And I know from employee to employee, that mindset may be tough to break through. But from a policy perspective, I would think HR has got to start it, uh, you know, from from one end of it. The C-suite does as well that part time employees, full time employees, they're all employees of the company. Yeah, but I think the reality is, is a contract worker is still a person who deserves right. to be treated exactly. with dignity and yeah. respect, even if we don't give them benefits, right? Uh, other benefits like you know retirement benefits and so on and so forth. But if we're talking about being inclusive and being fair and being equitable, that's something that people as a right, as a human who works for an organization, who is in an organization, deserves. And it shouldn't be based on whether or not I'm fully salaried or fully benefited by an organization. Harley? Uh, Absolutely. And what's fascinating here, Google has inspired workers. That's a very good thing. But the flip side of it is they've got to live up to the promise. And here with the temporary workers, they are overwhelmingly women. They are many people of color are among the temporary workers. So when uh, several of the Google leaders did a blog post, they referred to the temporary workers as a Jim Crow system. That's strong language yeah. and completely untypical uh, to the image and, and the values go- that Google puts out. So that's why it becomes urgent to address this, as well as addressing the 90 million payout for the one worker that uh, the, the one top level executive that sparked uh, the walkouts in the first place. Now, I, I'm not exactly sure of of what the makeup of the board of directors is at Google, male to female. But it, it, being in California, we mentioned this earlier, is the fact that California just enacted that law to be able to have more female representation on boards. That's probably another thing that, that probably should be looked at with Google, where all of these issues are concerned, Steph. Yeah, I think certainly representation is usually, I think, the first line of defense that many companies go to when they're trying to figure out how to create an organization where we begin to voice the values that we have. But we also know that putting more women on boards doesn't solve the issue if the board culture isn't one that invites people to voice really what the concerns are. So I would invite Google and any other company that's interested and that now has to, uh, by law, follow the practice of putting more women on their boards is that the culture of the board needs to be one. One in which you can raise dissent or you can raise right. additional perspectives. And that's oftentimes what the issue is and why we don't always see significant effects between the presence of women on boards and outcomes is because 
just putting somebody on a board doesn't mean that they can they can Correct. speak up and be heard. Harley, you're there in California. How much of an impact do you think that this uh, this type of move in the state will have in the years to come? Oh, I think it will have a very great impact, uh, and I think we will see that in a way that improves companies. A lot of these demands are not going to hobble a company like Google. It could actually make them more innovative and more competitive. Why? Workers want a voice in what's taking place. Uh, and to give them that voice brings their ingenuity, their commitment, uh, their ideals, and their skills to play uh, in what Google's trying to do. So the notion of representation, both on the board, uh, for women, but also for workers themselves, the, the fact of worker representatives as a union is not something that will hobble Google uh, but could very well improve the company. Uh, so all of this has been put on the table, and it follows in the face of previous protests at Google that the company has responded to when Google pulled out of a, a multi-billion dollar contract with the Department of Defense because employees protested that. And then there were other recent examples uh, of Google pulling back uh, from projects where many employees felt it was opposite to the ideals of the company. So harnessing this in a more formal way uh, could be something with which Google leads, not something that's going to diminish it. What do you think, Harley, is the impact on Silicon Valley? And, and obviously we've talked about uh, on this show stories where uh, the hiring levels uh, of women compared to men are are significantly different. And, and obviously this issue that we talk about now surrounding sexual harassment is, again, another issue. Silicon Valley brings us a lot of, of great technology, but they obviously have a lot to continue to work on where social issues are concerned. Uh, I, I would fully agree with that. And with Google right now, with its enormous visibility and the role that it plays, there's a lot of attention on this. Uh, below the surface, we've had amazing 21st century information technologies and 19th century practices when it comes to issues of gender inclusion and, uh, and other uh, things that are coming out right now here uh, in terms, for example, of Latinos at Google. The percentage in leadership is very, very small in a state where 40 percent of the population is Latino. You've got something like 2 percent of the leadership. Uh, coming uh, from, the, from that group. So you've got these issues which really are calling for, for resolution. All the attention to date has been on the wonders that come out of Silicon Valley. They're critical, and they truly are wonders, uh, but that doesn't mean that these other issues can just be left to drift. Yeah, the way that I see it, Google has two next steps. And the first is to begin to think more broadly about issues of equity, discrimination, and fairness, which is what the workers were suggesting, well beyond sexual harassment, which is just a symptom of a larger set of issues um, related to inequity. The second is to begin to tackle this issue of applying policies and practices regularly across different employee groups. Right. Executives apply it similarly to if you're a frontline worker. And then we have the issue around full employed versus contract workers. Because then again, we're arbitrarily setting up a system of inequity if we're creating different policies and holding different people to different standards. Yeah. So I think 
that's where they need to go forward. Don't run away from the issue of lack of equity and and promotion of discrimination and fairness. Run towards it because they can be a better symbol, I think, for others who are struggling with the same issues as well. But the the difference in terms of policy, as you you mentioned, uh, is probably driven because of the C-suite. The C-suite probably wants to have different rules than the majority of, of the employees in the company, correct? Well, I can't say what their motive is, but I can say that people who make the policies and practices are in the C-suite, right? right? And oftentimes policies and practices are made by the people who believe what they should be based on their own set of circumstances. So we do see bias existing in many company policies and practices. So that's why other people need to be looking at the policies and the practices at different levels of the organization and the board to begin to understand who are these policies and practices designed to benefit and who are they designed to uh, exclude. And that's, I think, their next step. Is, is understanding that because in this case with this particular sexual harassment case it was a policy that benefited a c-suite representative yeah. and did not equally benefit somebody who had committed the same act 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions we're joined in studio by stephanie creary from here at the wharton school and uh joined on the phone by harley shaken who is at the university of california at berkeley 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment on twitter at biz radio 132 or my twitter account which is at dan loney 21 going back to what we were saying at the beginning here stephanie it is it is surprising that a company in this day and age, their process to dealing with a claim of sexual harassment was arbitration. It just it kind of boggles the mind a little bit that that was the process that they had in place. Yeah, I, I definitely was really concerned when I read about that, only because I know Google and many other companies are taking a lot of steps to be very transparent. Google has a diversity report. They disclose yeah. what the representation is in their organization. They have mandatory unconscious bias training. They've been talking a lot about this, and they've been highlighted a lot in the past for the work that they were doing. Why this was one of the one issues where it felt, I think, to those of us on the outside, but certainly to people on the inside, that they were trying to hide something that should be much more transparent. That set of decisions, I think, is one that will be unclear to all of us. Harley? I think I would agree with that very much. Uh, but I think this is just highlighting a larger problem. What happens in the C-suite is obviously critical for the direction of Google, but you've got a new factor. You've got a 1,000 Google employees globally who organize something. They're not going to go away. They're thinking about what will make this a better company and what role do we have in shaping that. And here we're looking at something that's much broader. Uh, This is an age where we know unions have declined in many areas precipitously. Uh, But in a way, what we're seeing of late is workers reinventing the underlying concept of collective action and solidarity. It's odd to think that teachers in West Virginia uh, and uh, Google workers uh, together both share this. They went to the streets to really articulate and to demand action on their demands. Where that goes remains an open question. Do you think that that this is a watershed moment for for Silicon Valley, not not only for Google, but the other companies there, that that we will see significant change in terms of, of the understanding of employees and the treatment of those employees when we have situations like this? Or 
are, is this still a process that's developing, Harley, and, and still needs uh, some time to really work itself out? No, I think it is a watershed moment. 20,000 people in the streets globally. And actually, the New York Times yesterday in a front page article on their business section used watershed moment in tech to describe what happened at Google. That in no way says says where this goes, meaning there are no guarantees, but it is intriguing and it is a watershed uh, moment because so many employees from so many different cultures, so many, uh, a, ra- a range of countries uh, and perspectives got together and made a statement by walking out for several hours. We just haven't seen that. And I suspect the issues they put on the table, uh, we will return to in new and innovative ways. I want to actually raise a very interesting point that I thought was a really important moment of all of this, and that was the sheer number of male employees that walked out as well. Oftentimes when we start talking about sexual harassment, the conversation lends itself to gender, and it usually is a lot of female employees or workers or academics or experts talking about the issue. Google is a largely male workforce, and it was, if you look at all of the pictures, look at all the coverage, it was a lot of male workers also saying that they won't stand up for this as well. And certainly sexual harassment isn't a male-to-woman issue, but we largely highlight the cases in which the man is the perpetrator and the woman is not in this case. So I thought that that was remarkable. I think we need more of that. It's not just about workers standing up. It's about more workers in dominant groups who might not feel as closely affected standing up and saying what's right versus what's wrong. Thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate your time. Harley, thank you as well. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.